Mm-hmm. Let's major in the majors, minor in the minors, in the minors. and yep. focus on what is yep. truly important and agree to disagree on the on the other things. Right. But let's push this forward rather than all join hands, sing kumbaya, and disagree on all of the <laughs> fundamentals about all things important, mm-hmm. but just not talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen, no, just kidding. <laughs> Let's get ready to humble. Oh, this is this is what they don't know that you have to put up with. <laughs> oh, hello everyone. Welcome back. This is your beer. Wait, we're not using that, are we? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> people are going to be ripping their earbuds out of their ears whoa what is that i thought this was bearded bible brothers not wwe or wwb or WWE. <laughs> <laughs> the wrestling world of beards <laughs> yes all right well let's just roll forward welcome everyone <laughs> we are in fine form this morning. Hope you are as well. We are resuming our series on um, on the church, on what it is currently, on what it ought to be, on what scripture says about it, and all of the uh, inconsistencies between what it currently is and what scripture says about it. Well, mm-hmm. not all of the inconsistencies, because we would never ever venture to another topic but some of the inconsistencies and that reminds me of the the old adage i don't recall if we mentioned this last podcast but the adage that if you find a perfect church don't go because you'll mess it up oh man no but i've heard that adage too we didn't yeah no we didn't cover that in the last one but that that's a good one so while while we're kind of picking apart western church the american church it, it's also true and fair to say that there is no perfect church. We're, we're kind of painting in broad strokes with these are some of the issues that we see happening in the in Western church, in Western church culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but please don't mishear us in saying that our churches are the best church or that we are perfect in the way we do things or or anything like that. We're, we're kind of throwing mm-hmm. out some issues for the sake of the discussion and potentially maybe we can make some, some positive changes, but um, if the goal not, is definitely have the conversation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. The goal is yeah. to start the conversation and move toward perfection. Not, not mm-hmm. at all claim that we have achieved it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Matt and I, before we started recording, we were already talking about, and Matt brought something great. It was about truth. And, um, and then I also brought up the idea that sometimes I've, I've run into with when it comes to persons such as Jacob in the Bible, how, how could truth come through such a deceiving, deceiving, dece- uh, deceitful man? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, he mentioned, of course, there's Samson and there's others. And, um, and it leads you to wonder, as actually, as Matt was saying that, it actually reminded me of, um, of something that uh 
if um oh my brain will work <laughs> this morning for me I, i'm still waking up i guess even though i've been up for about two hours <laughs> um uh oh wait, i completely lost my train of thought but you know you what mentioned it, something about gideon is that where you were going yeah yeah that was gideon and um it it really it begs the question what do we expect as we've asked the question already what is church what do we expect church to look like how do we expect people to look like especially say senior pastors mm -hmm. um we've all heard senior pastors say from the pulpit i'm not the perfect one here but yet and so many people believe i am the perfect one that i'm supposed to be the one giving the word of god and and yet you're also children of God, and why aren't you also? God's talking to you. Why aren't you listening? Um, and uh, it, 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 if anything, it's kind of encouraging to realize, hey, if God can use Jacob, maybe He can use me. Yeah. Right. And a um, whole lot of the the biblical kings, like um, David, was very imperfect. He did a lot mm -hmm. right. But he was mm -hmm. definitely an imperfect man, and Solomon, and even even the moments. I think there's two in the life of King Saul, when the Spirit comes on him and he joins the prophets and starts prophesying. That's he did a whole lot wrong in his life, and uh, and we're certainly You're not right. holding him up as a role model. But even God can mm -hmm. use whatever He wants, and uh, even as as we look back at the last uh, 50, 80 years of Western culture and the Western church, mm -hmm. there, there have certainly been imperfections and problems along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have um, almost kind of living in a metaphorical Babylon. We've invited Babylon into, into the church and there are countless problems with that, but God has used it. Mm -hmm. I think throughout this might be a very errant uh, statistic, but I, th I think I read that throughout church history, America has sent out the most missionaries. Huh. We've re we reached a point about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, where um, other nations were sending more missionaries to America than America was sending out, which uh, sad, sad state of affairs. But but I think throughout history, we've sent out the most. Uh, depending on, yeah, how you rate the, whether that's per capita or how oh, sure, you, sure. the ratio is. But yeah, I, I, I've actually heard the same thing. Um, there was, he uh, uh, was a missionary. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But um, he had worked with a, a mission organization and he was he was in ministry when John General John MacArthur. Now, for those of you who may, you know, I'm going to move closer to the microphone. Um, <laughs> for those of you who who may not who who may be histor historian buffs and may not have heard this, because I remember um, when I first heard this, I was kind of blown away that John MacArthur, General John MacArthur, actually said through public media that now is the time for missionaries to get their butts to Japan. Now is the time for the church because now those walls are down, the gates are open, and if there is going to be any effective change, they're 
now is the time to send those missionaries. And for those who are less familiar with John MacArthur, he was essentially in, in charge of the Pacific campaign during right. World War II. Right. He was the commander in chief of those big aviator uh, sunglasses and that cap. And then, of course, maybe that that um, little pipe that he had out of his mouth. And famously, but, um, he was kicked out of the Philippines. He and his forces were kicked mm -hmm. out of the Philippines. But standing on the beach, he vowed, I will be back. And then, of course, he was. But yeah, you're <laughs> saying he... after the war ended, that's when he said, this is the time to send yep. in the spiritual yep. troops. Yep, it sure is. And it was amazing because um, we ask this question sometimes, and, and I brought it up a little bit ago. How could God use that person to bring about any sort of truth or reconciliation and but yet even in a biblical there's biblical evidence to show that sometimes he uses the worst of us to bring some amazing things about um the commander fuchida uh commander fuchida i can't remember his first name he was the air commander for the japanese invasion and onslaught of pearl harbor he's mm -hmm. the one that cried torah 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 and that signaled bombing raid on the Pearl Harbor. Obviously when he not came... referencing the first five books of the Bible. <laughs> no, 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 no. Good point. Good point. Good point. <laughs> just since we're, we're bringing the Jewish perspective on the, on the scriptures, let's just throw that clarification out there. I couldn't agree more. Um, but he got back and he was lauded a hero. Um, but he was dealing with a lot of personal demons and a lot of doubt as to what he started. Even a, another um, a, a Japanese admiral, admiral, yeah, it was admiral. I believe it was says we have just woken the giant. Mm. And J Japan, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into a lot of historical about that. Um, but it was just interesting enough to say that they were realizing what they were about to do and what it would cause, and that the likelihood of them succeeding, even with all their their preparation was was probably not for not meaning that they weren't going to win right. but um Puchita, uh actually became a christian because of those missionaries that went over there mm. and he became he be, he was an avid aviator he loved flying and he ended up using that as a ministry tool for discipling he would meet kids all over the world and they would start training with aviation and he'd use that as a teaching tool. And it, so it was absolutely amazing that the guy that pretty much started the Pacific World War II, Pacific, meaning the Ocean Pacific. Right, the Pacific theater of the war. Yeah, and created so much death and destruction at the beginning, ended up being a tool for life and giving life for decades. Um, Sounds like a a it's more modern version and a larger scale version of the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Oh, oh, started yeah. Started yeah. off completely yeah. on the opposite side. God chose to bring round and use his passions, his skills, his giftings, which were God given to begin with, to then right. use them for the kingdom's sake. Exactly. Exactly. And um, there. You know what's so funny is that I, I can't I can't pinpoint any one specific story at the moment, um, but I have met I've actually met a few and I've heard many many stories 
of that happening even in the underground church, say even in China. In China, one of the things we want to bring up today is the underground church and not just the underground church. I, I would also uh, beg to bring up the church in Cuba, which may not be underground, but is under heavy persecution. Yeah. And Matt and I both agree that there, there are things we can learn. We, we may have the, the Western church in our faces a lot, and it may be more available to us, especially. But um, the church around the world, especially in third world countries, in my opinion, can have some amazing lessons to teach us about what it, what it means to not only be the church, but also what it looks like to be the church. And, and um, let me interject right there. There's a terrific example that's been happening for the last couple few months or more. Um, I was made aware of it three months ago-ish that the the church in Nigeria is under enormous persecution. Mm -hmm. Christians are being slaughtered almost daily. Churches oh, yeah. are being burned to the ground. How many yep. believers in America are aware of this? How many are, is that yeah. even in their purview? And, yeah. and, and yet we have so much we could learn from them about what it means to trust God with everything mm -hmm. when there's a machete at your throat. Yeah. Oh, How, yeah. What What does oh, yeah. it look like when you're not allowed to buy and sell food anymore? Your you might your face might not be allowed in public. Mm -hmm. And what does it look like? I was talking to somebody just recently about. Um, imagine that you're the, I believe she was a Shulamite woman. Imagine you're the woman who is going out to draw some water yeah. with her mm -hmm. last little bit of flour and oil. And some mm -hmm. rando, hairy dude, homeless guy that's been living out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> for years, he probably doesn't smell good, comes up to you and says, hey, what are you doing? And you you respond, I'm, I'm about to make mine and my son's last meal because that's all the food we have. He says, first, make me a, a, a cake of, of bread and then mm -hmm. go make some for yourselves. Mm -hmm. What does it look like to have the faith that she had to do as he asked Mm -hmm. And then see the provision of God show up that they that the flour and oil didn't run out, and, right. and they kept drawing on it over right. for for a long period of time. You know what's so fascinating about that very example right there is that <clears throat> when you look at Eastern culture, the the topic of hospitality mm. is so incredibly ingrained that it is an offense even to turn down hospitality. Absolutely. And so what a better time to be able to see that feature of culture still being practiced. Now we can say, oh, it's just culture. However, when you even look at the Torah or what is also known as the mini Torah, Leviticus 19, mm -hmm. and you read how God was building in to the very social fabric the agricultural fabric even of yes. the of the israelite people the demand to care for others whether it and was that's where the, the laws about don't plow to the edge of your field don't yes. go back over it a second time right and don't don't go to go to the very corners you leave the corners untouched right right and then exactly. we get stories of of ruth and others who were able to survive because of mm -hmm. that it exactly. wasn't just a welfare 
handout, but they had means to be able to go in and provide for their families. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, you know, my mind actually wants to go a little, kind of take a left turn here for a second with Ruth, because when it comes to people like Ruth, when it comes to people like Rahab, there, I've actually interacted with some people who get indignant with people who come in and think they know more than they do when quote, they've been born into the church. Um, How do you mean? Ruth was a foreigner. And when she moved there with Naomi, she would have been referred to as a girl, someone who was living in Israel, but was not an Israelite. Right. Um, now, you get Hollywood, for example, but there are some sources to suggest that there were some extreme reactions to Ruth being there, primarily because she was a Moabite. Hollywood took it to an example to say that she was specifically a um, a virgin that was brought up in Moloch's temple who was going to be trained to be a priestess. We don't have confirmed evidence on that, but it definitely makes for a more interesting Hollywood story, sure. to say the least. You also have a portion of this movie, and I, I don't have you ever seen this movie, Matt? The movie I haven't. Ruth? And and okay. I'll say I don't know very much. I have not researched the midrash on her, so uh -huh. they could be pulling that from midrash. I it's, don't know. Yes, and that's the thing. Some of it they did pull from midrash, and then others okay. they embellished. <laughs> sure. So, which is why I'm trying to get to the point that there was likely some opposition to Ruth being in Israel. And yes. yet how she responded to that opposition was incredible. Um, because when you, when you've been raised in the church and you've been raised to believe a certain thing and raised to believe that you've been educated to an extent to where you can speak on a matter that when you see someone come into the church, that is a new Christian with life and vigor and who's not only got life and vigor, but is actually speaking up. Um, I can think of any number of examples. One of which was, um, uh, I remember hearing the story of a young kid who'd been in the church all his life and he was like 10 years old. And he was getting so upset that this older girl who was uh, in her high, high school years had only been a Christian for a year, but could recite more scripture than he could and could even answer the question of why did Jesus have to die? And his his answer was, well, some things you just have to take on by faith. But here the teenagers saying, no, there's a reason Jesus had to die. And yes. she's giving that example. And he's feeling offended that um, she knows more than he does. And yet he's been in the church longer. Mm -hmm. Right. But Good. yet feel offended. Now do something about it. Exactly. Exactly. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. And so I think this could also go to some extent to what uh, Paul says um, in Romans about the Jews becoming jealous over the relationship that the Gentiles, the, the relationship that Gentiles have with God. And I even know of, a, of an incident at, um, I want to say it was Liberty University. Um, a Jewish scholar showed up one day. And he had already been having a great deal of interaction with what they'd call Christian and Jewish dialogue. And uh, 
he's sitting in this class and one of these students um, with, <laughs> uh, with a certain attitude and idea um, basically confronts the fact that he's even there. And he says, you know what? Make me jealous. That's yes. what I'm going to challenge you to do. Make me jealous. And I think that's a great way to, to even bring into the idea that in some ways I do, I am jealous in some ways of some of these other, these churches around the world. I remember one time um, a friend of mine who went down to Cuba came back and relayed to me that he asked a pastor down there, wouldn't you want all this, all of this oppression? He goes, oh no, and please don't pray that it ends. Because as it continues, it continues to put us in the position of moving forward and basically being, being the, the, the attitude of conflict provides motivation. Mm -hmm. Right? And I and think the, that... The underground church in Iran, again, months ago, maybe six oh, yeah. months or more, put out multiple videos on YouTube with um, ladies wearing full burqas and what little of them you could see was fuzzed out for their own protection. They put out multiple videos warning America, persecution is coming to America. The things that are starting to happen in your government and in your society are what happened in ours before the Shah took over, or before the, the Ayatollahs took over. And they villainize Christians and they blame Christians for certain things and all the things we're seeing on the Western news, the American church, the Western church has to wake up because they're coming for you. This was months and months ago. It might have been last year. I don't recall exactly, but and and since then, I, I don't mean to. I said this in the last podcast too. I don't mean to get too political here, but uh, I have no problem talking politics. But that's not the purpose of what we're trying to do here. The the purpose is trying to be more biblical. That's why we did a series on eschatology. We want to be more biblical with our view of the end times. We want to be more biblical with our with how we do our fellowships and our congregations and our gatherings. Right. So it it really genuinely is coming to America. I, there's there's really no two ways about that. And in some ways already has. It ha yes, it's absolutely started. Um in a lot of ways it's starting subtly so that those who have their head in the st sand don't pull out and and freak out but um yeah the underground churches in iran saudi arabia afghanistan china for a long time under the soviet union russia mm -hmm. all of them for the vast majority say do not pray that the persecution ends mm -hmm. i had one i read one thing um one gal wrote um she said, I, I believe, she was an Iranian citizen, she said, I believe that the Ayatollah is the greatest missionary for Christendom because the Ayatollah is actually living out true Islam. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's just, he's taking the Quran literally. Now, lots of Muslims don't take it literally, and that's, that's why they're not harsh and, and doing jihad and stuff. But the Ayatollah mm -hmm. is just reading the book and acting on it. He's showing mm -hmm. the true face of Islam. And that mm -hmm. is driving Muslims away from Islam. 
Mm-hmm. And it was just fascinating. If if any of our in, uh, listeners are are interested in hearing some phenomenal, phenomenal stories of what God has been doing in the Middle East for the last 20 plus years, pick up any book by Tom Doyle. Oh, His most yeah. famous book is um, Dreams and Visions. Yeah. Uh, but he's also written Killing Christians, um, Standing mm-hmm. in the Fire, Women Who Risk. Uh, phenomenal books. Every single chapter is a new independent story of God visited in a dream or a vision or some other means. This this random person goes back to what we were talking mm-hmm. about before. How could God use me? Mm-hmm. Random citizen and mm-hmm. moves passionately on their life. They find a Bible in a back alley and have no idea how it got there. Or mm-hmm. there's one story where a guy um, who is kind of an undercover missionary four months, I think in, in field in Egypt gets kidnapped at gunpoint early, early dawn gets marched through the streets. Um, and it, he, he's kidnapped by, a, an, a by a Shah, which is basically mm. a, a Muslim pastor. Yeah. Um, and he's marched through the streets. You know, he, he can't cry out for help because no one would come to his rescue. The Shah is wearing a mask, holding him at gunpoint, take, makes him climb this uh, staircase or, or fire escape or something to the top of a building. They go to the edge of the building. He says, jump across from this building to that one because we're going to that one. He says, I'm not jumping. He says, you're jumping or I'll shoot you. And so he jumps across. The, the um, kidnapper jumps across right behind him, says, open that trap door in the ceiling. He opens it up and it's just black. He says, mm. climb down. And so he, he's climbing down the ladder and he's praying the whole time. God, I'm only here for four months and this is happening. I haven't done anything for you yet. What are you doing? <laughs> and he's sure he's going down to meet his death. His eyes eventually adjust to the dark. He turns around and sees, I don't remember exactly how many, half dozen other Shahs standing there without masks, which means mm-hmm. he knows he's about to meet his end because he's seeing mm-hmm. their faces and stuff. Um, they close the trap door, come down, and the one who had kidnapped him started apologizing profusely. He said, the gun isn't loaded, but I didn't know any other way to get you to come here. We have all had encounters with God while we were in Shaw school, whatever their version of seminary is. And we we are believers. And we, we didn't feel like we could tell anybody. But then the Holy Spirit started connecting us to each other. And so we have one question for you. Will you teach us scripture? Oh, wow. I have not heard that. That is amazing. That is just one story. And and wow. Tom Doyle puts in the intro of all of his books. These are not friend of a friend stories. We personally, he and his wife mm-hmm. personally sat down and interviewed these people. Mm-hmm. Please go get his books. They are absolutely phenomenal. It will help you as a believer. It will mm-hmm. bolster your faith. It will encourage you that God is on the move today. And And honestly, we as Americans need to know how to have that kind of faith. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We need to not, absolutely. I, I am going to get a little bit political. I love the Second Amendment, but we need to not be reaching for our guns when they're coming for us. We need to be reaching for our Bibles when they come for us. We need to see it as an opportunity to witness and lay down our lives for Christ and be greeted in and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. This was how I wanted to call you home. Thank you for not standing up for your rights. Thank you for standing up for your responsibility as an ambassador of mine. 
Okay, I'm done ranting. No, no, no. I, I like your ranting. I love it when people rant because you, you end up picking up little things. And one of the things he actually that Matt just you brought it up right up in that story, I think is a, a good point to speak on for a moment. I haven't. The guy said I haven't done anything yet. Right. I haven't done anything yet. And. <clears throat> Even Keith Green, the the, the guy a uh, guy that I've brought up before, um, did a series called on the word do, on D O the word do out of scripture, and one of his main points was uh, Matthew seven of uh, the sheep and the goats, and that, that's Matthew seven. Yeah, that's Matthew seven. I believe. So. Um, yeah, and so he's talking about the sheep and the goats, and and he the last portion of it emphasizing what they did and didn't do and and, and jesus goes illustrates a long list of things of meeting them in prison and feeding them when they're hungry and clothing them and so so forth. they have no clothes and yeah exactly but here here's an interesting portion that i think would be absolutely crucial to bring up mm-hmm. now we think i've even thought this for crying out loud that we think that when when it comes to doing christianity that it's just going to church and being involved and being sincere and singing songs and doing sermons i remember thinking that at one point when i was younger and yet oh i do um i'm going to try to bring all the Trying to thread some, some some thoughts together here so I'm not sure. completely scattered and going all over the place. <laughs> so let's start here. Uh, what I think it was, yeah, it was the Left Behind movie series. Um, yes, to those who I just offended their senses, yes, I did see the series. Um, <laughs> I, I don't agree with it, but I still saw it. And in one scene, uh, these agents come into a house and mm. they... They're looking around the, the, the guy, I think he was a pilot. He had already escaped the house. And so they're looking around and one of them finds a Bible and he says, okay, good. He's not armed. And it, it reminds me so much of some stories that I've heard. One, one of which was, um, this guy went over to China and, um, he was asked to preach. It's like, okay, I'll preach. How long do you want me to preach and for um, what do you want me to preach about? And it was amazing. He said the how they reacted to him was this. Please preach on whatever you want to preach. And would you please preach from 8.30 p.m. to 7 a.m.? And he's taken aback going, what? Why? That's that's 11 hours. That's 11 hours. for Really? You want me to preach that long? And so he's preaching and he's starting to take note. He's starting to actually observe the fact, wait a minute. Um, nobody has a Bible. And when he finally asks, and this happens for three nights in a row where they ask him to preach for 11 hours straight. And it fi- they, he finally asks, why are you wanting me to preach? And they said, we don't have Bibles. We don't get to hear scripture. Right. And so you preaching and, and telling us about all of these scriptures is is important have. to us and is and that's all we've got yeah. and that also reminds me of other situations where there are stories um there was one story uh it was um 
this one I heard a long time ago, and I'm trying to piece it together. So if I if I forget a piece of it, forgive me. But there was a gentleman who was arrested. I want to say it was in southeastern Asia, and he was put into prison. And prison, quote unquote, was a usually a bamboo cage. Um, that was that wasn't you couldn't stand up in and you can straighten well you can lay down flat in. But as he was there, um he started to get to know his cage and he found that there was a portion of the floor that was was loose and he pulled it back and in it was a collection of various types of quote unquote paper. Some of it was wrappers, different kinds of writing stuff, but all of it was filled with scripture. And he took the scripture he knew and he wrote it down and he attached it to it. And this goes to another story where this lady, where this lady was in prison and um, uh, she was at a meeting afterwards. The guy even says, how many people here have been arrested for their faith? And it was something like 18 out of 22 people raised their hands. And he said, okay, so turn to first Peter chapter one. And he watched her give her Bible to the person next to her. And he asked her later, well, why, why did you do that? She, um, memorized. she had the chapter memorized. Yeah. And even that guy actually made a very interesting point. He says, this is fascinating because you folks don't even have scripture, a Bible, but yet you know more scripture than the people who in it, in America have two Bibles to a family and they never read it. Right. How poignant is that? But yet it goes to the very fact of what so many of these stories say. Scripture is life to me. It is God talking to me. And by hiding these words in my heart, there's a scripture that hide, hide God's word in your heart. That way you might not sin against them. Now, we, we tend quick, quick little synops, uh, quick little lesson on the word sin. We tend to see sin as this abhorrent um, action that's usually very negative, but yet in some a lot of ways the etymological background of that word is simply by missing a target, right? Right, and so it's not just necessarily going out and lying or or doing something so gross that it's it's it's, it's a sin, but it's also missing the point of what God's wanting us to do, and it's through Scripture that we end up getting these stories, getting these illustrations, getting these getting these words that God's wanting to put in our hearts. That's wanting, he's wanting to have us come out, have a come out of our own mouths, come out of our own hands. And what I see the underground church in the, in these, especially in China doing is providing those examples of what it looks like to take something that's centuries old, but yet making it as applicable today as ever. Mm -hmm. What do you, have think? you seen the videos of, of um underground churches or or small communities in uh, mm -hmm. china or or throughout africa and stuff when they get a box of bibles and they're distributing them yes people are weeping oh, yes. and kissing them and yes. sharing them with others um another great book for our audience is um um brother yun's um the mm -hmm. heavenly man heavenly man yep 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 he writes heavenly in there man. I think at one point they only had one Bible, so they started ripping it apart. Yep. And they would pass out pages to everybody, mm -hmm. and they couldn't meet weekly because it wasn't safe. They met in the middle of the night, even so. But next time they all got together, 
the, the job was you memorize your paper. And then next time we get together, whether it's a couple of weeks or a month, we're going to trade them around so that, so that everybody can have, have more. Uh -huh. That's, that's so much what we need. Read scripture as if you'll never read it again. Yes. I remember hearing that from a buddy. Well, he wasn't a buddy, but I, I got to know him. He was a tour guide in Russia. Ooh. And um, there are, depending on where you're at in Russia, um, according to him, you're going to have various reactions to being a Christian because you've got, uh, what is that, Eastern Orthodox um, uh, is, is prominently there and uh what's what's so interesting is that um most people think oh okay it's just a church you can go to church no 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 you can't there there's there's a lot of more more information there than, than we have time to get into but um suffice it to say he was under such scrutiny that anytime he was able ever able to open the bible and read it he was doing it under the cover of darkness and he was doing it usually behind a closed locked door and he could only do it for a certain period of time because then his neighbors would get suspicious and then they'd come looking for him. And if they found him, especially with that Bible, because depending on the law in some parts of, of, of Russia, you're not allowed to have a Bible that's strictly right. left to the priests. Um, and it which, was the jobs of your neighbors to rat you out. Exactly. Because that's, it, it was built into the culture intentionally because the more you rat somebody else out, the less likely they're coming for you and your family. Exactly. And um, the, the more you get in um, services. Uh, I remember, see, there was a huge drought. I can't remember which drought it was. They've had, they had a few. And um, if you were to rat out your neighbor, you were given provisions. You were even given meat and cheese, which was, which was uh, very, very hard to come by. But yet, if you were to do this, you would get certain privileges, which is why when you go into um, a lot of war zones, um, especially if you go back to World War II and you're listening to people in Holland um, or Sweden or Poland, um, if they were outing Jews, you would get a certain privilege and standing with the Nazis. Mm -hmm. which is and why very often you would get to take over everything that the Jewish family owned their house, right. their farm, their cattle, their whatever you got yeah, all exactly. of, all of their stuff. So even if you had to manufacture something to turn them in for, you did it because mm -hmm. you're greedy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, and, and there again, I, I really hope I'm not sounding like an alarmist, but persecution is coming to America. The further our country goes away from God and, and the more rapidly it does so, this is coming. Mm -hmm. We genuinely do need to be reading our Bibles as if we aren't going to have them tomorrow. We need mm -hmm. to be memorizing scripture. Put it into song format. No, you don't learn as well. There's no better way to learn uh, or memorize something than in a song. So sing it. Memorize it. We need to restructure our gatherings, whether they're Saturday or Sunday or Wednesday night or whatever, so that we are getting the maximum efficacy out of our fellowship. We don't know how much long we're, longer we're going to get to have it. It might be years, and praise God if it is. 
But let's not take that for granted. Let's not assume that we have that. Let's treat it like I don't, I live on this planet. This is not home. Let's treat it like, like when you go on vacation for a week and a half and assuming you're not the vacationer that just wants to lay on the beach and, and uh, kick up their heels, but you're the vacationer that wants to go see all of the sites. Let's yeah. say you're going to Israel where there's so much to see and you truly just cannot do it in an, a week and a half. But the tour guides are so phenomenal. They pack in just as much as can possibly be done and you just hope to retain it all. <laughs> And then for the next right. several months after getting home, you're still processing through what you saw and, and the Bible's coming alive. What if we treated life like that? Mm. What if every single day was an opportunity to, to go do it? Not to wait on God to show up for me and be my genie in the bottle and make my life more comfortable. I, I started CrossFit this morning, uh, the day that we're recording this. And my buddy, he... He has been such a phenomenal friend, absolute godsend. Him and his family are dynamite people. But he invites me to go to CrossFit with him. I go, we're on um, stationary bikes next to each other, and he's given me the lowdown of everybody that's in the gym. That person's a believer. We need to pray for them because XYZ is happening in their life. Or this person's open to the gospel, hasn't accepted yet, but we've been having conversation. That person over there, he's given me the the itinerary is not the right word but he's given me the because he's living his life intentionally he and his family are, are using go down <laughs> yes because they're living their life on purpose with purpose with passion not the kind of passion that drives people away but the passion that is that ignites the passion that people genuinely look at that type of life and say gosh i want whatever they have yeah I would give my my left arm, my kidney, and and most of my money to give to get whatever they have. What is it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I, sorry, one last thought. Oh, go that's right what ahead. is supposed to be normal in yeah. Christianity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Watchman Nee's normal Christian life. Get it? Read it. Phenomenal. Yep. But that yep. that's supposed to be the norm. That's not supposed mm -hmm. to be the exception of the Jesus freaks and, well, they have what I don't and good for them and I can't get. No, that's the standard. Be so madly in love with Jesus, with Yeshua, that you can't stop from talking about it. It's like being a teenage girl that just can't shut up about her new boyfriend. <laughs> that's, that's how it is. And I'm not saying that life is going to be sunshine and roses the whole time. You're going to have difficulty. Jesus promised it. In fact, if we don't have difficulty as believers, we're doing something wrong. Because he said, if you are a disciple of mine, you will have troubles. Yep. Go read Matthew chapter 10. Yep. And and so what's so funny is that um, I, I, I've heard so many times of Jesus brings together he brings together, but yet even Jesus himself said, no, I came to divide father from son. I brought a sword. Mother. It's like, whoa, what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing, Jesus? You, you're, you're, you're supposed to be the loving one. You're the one that's supposed to be right. demonstrating mercy and bringing us all together. Oh, heck no. And then in John oh, six, seven and eight, he intentionally teaches something extraordinarily hard. Yeah. And doesn't, doesn't apologize for it. He's intentionally thinning the crowd from those who just wanted to fill their bellies and, and 
go along with him. He yep. said, he he in essence said, "I'm not building a mega church. I'm making yeah. disciples." And right. so many left that he actually turned to the twelve and said, "Are you guys going to leave too?" Mm-hmm. And Peter responded beautifully. He said, "To whom would we go?" Right. This is a hard teaching. We don't understand it, but mm-hmm. you're the one that has the words of eternal life. Mm-hmm. Where else would we look? Mm-hmm. That's that needs to be our response. It's amazing how those words of life become so identifying when when we well, all we've heard is platitudes, superficial language. We we want something that goes deeper. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a moment and actually address something that I, I'm almost certain that some of the listeners are thinking, because I'm going to admit I'm not. Matt, are you, am, am I am I what? Some would you might use the word cynic with me when it comes to me. You have a healthy amount of um, sit back and observe and not just jump in blindly. Okay. Because uh, I think that what I'm about to say could be reasoned as a cynic. And I'm, I, what I'm saying is, is what I know that a lot of, I've actually heard this. I've said it myself about whether or not is this really going to happen is the church in america really going to go through all of this mm-hmm. and i have to remind myself of something and, and especially when as, as matt called himself earlier he's not trying to sound like an alarmist and there are people who sound like alarmists who say oh this is going to happen immediately i don't think it's going to happen overnight frankly just due to all the, the, the way America is designed and, and everything that's had, it, it, this would happen over the course of time. But um, I have to remind myself that what we define as or measure as persecution varies wildly. It can happen from um, your spouse for making fun of you for, I don't know, getting up and reading your Bible early in the morning. You need your sleep. Why are you doing that? Um, well, it's important to me. And they may be a believer as well. It, that That is, that could be labeled persecution. But I also am reminded <laughs> all too well, having grown up in Utah, that persecution can take on varying forms. I have been persecuted by believers. I have been persecuted by non-believers. I have been persecuted by. I've been persecuted by non-believers that are, are LDS, and I've also been blessed by people who are not who are LDS or otherwise known as Mormon. And um, we, having grown up in the church, the idea that it could suddenly disappear seems far-fetched right yet when we are analyzing and asking these questions over these past few episodes of what does church even look like we can be left to the reality that even if we go to a church it may not be behaving like a church and it and it may actually be even persecuting a believer whether they know it or not 
Which is exactly um, what the Western Church did to Brother Yun oh. after his time in China, what came to an end because yeah. he was one of the pastors at the very beginning when uh, communism came to China and the church made a decision, the church corporately in China, either to go um, milk toast and only ever teach what the communists say we can teach or to go right. underground. Right. And so if I may add to that real quickly, I would sure. give the, uh, help people understand that in China, you can actually there are Christian churches on a corner. Mm -hmm. However, those churches are sanctioned by the Chinese government. And the, the process to get sanctioned is in, incredibly intense. But what part of that process is, is that you have to agree to not talk about certain things. Right. That's what Mike's meeting by milk and toast. It is very watered down, and usually the the language is completely changed so that it is less, as they call it, uh, biblically invasive. Right, right. So Brother Yun basically helped spearhead. He was one of the ones that helped spearhead this new underground church that they didn't need before. They could be open. Um so he did multiple stints in prison because of being a believer. It's phenomenal testimony. Go read The Heavenly Man. Uh, but eventually his time in China came to an end because the underground churches wouldn't invite him to come and teach them anymore because he was too hot on right. the government's radar. He was too wanted. Right. Mm -hmm. So he had to flee, mm -hmm. um, eventually becomes a German citizen, and, and his mission became go to the Western church and wake them up and tell them what's happening. He went and did a, a seminar or a conference. I think it was in Canada. He was going there. And the night before he was supposed to take the platform, some uh, article was written about him down in the States, claiming that he's a liar, claiming that none of the stuff that ever happened to him actually happened to him and, and just totally ripping on him mm. completely falsely. The church yeah. was persecuting this guy whose legs don't don't work the same way because they've been broken multiple times in prison. Right. He did a 70 plus day fast from food and water and God sustained him and saved his fellow prisoners because of it. This man has been through hell and back and the Christian church is persecuting him. Fortunately, mm -hmm. he was able to to get letters from his brothers and sisters in China to write and and say no he's legitimate we we attest to this and so he was able to go on with the conference but i, right. I thought about that and, and he he wrote that it's almost easier to experience persecution physical persecution beatings and torture from the enemy than it is to experience spiritual emotional and mental abuse from who are supposed to be fellow believers yeah Oh yeah, and uh, I've I've actually had the interaction with believers who say, "Well, that's not in the Bible. They only did that to Jesus because Jesus was quote a revolutionary." Now, there's different ways to look at what Jesus did and 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 have various ideas of interpretation. And what would they say we are right? supposed to be? Who? The disciple is supposed to be like his master. Yeah. If he is a revolutionary, we ought to be revolutionaries. Be revolutionaries. Exactly. And that doesn't mean picking up your muskets. That means living like Jesus. That means yeah, being absurdly for, hospitable. 
Right. And that's what Peter misconstrued. But then that's what a lot of Jews at that time misconstrued because they had certain expectations of what the Messiah was going to look like because the Messiah was going to be this conquering hero that was going to free them from Roman oppression. But yet Jesus came and did something completely different, completely different. And um, I, I was I was thinking back of, of, of Gideon. I was reading Gideon earlier and. Um, uh you know what? I'm, I'm just going to read it. It says that the people of Israel did what was evil from Adonai's perspective. So Adonai handed them over to Midian for seven years and Midian exercised its power harshly against Israel. And because the Midian of Midian, the people of Israel hid themselves in mountains in caves and in other safe places. Um, so you've got the oppression going on from, say, a political one. But it's also spiritual because of why they were being oppressed. But then when Gideon is being given the, the mantle of, quote, Messiah to go and save his people. Can one I of the first real quick, the, the Hebrew term Messiah literally just means anointed one. So uh, most of the kings of Israel and Judah were anointed ones. Different prophets were anointed ones. So they were literally messiahs before the Messiah, capital M. Correct. So that's that's what Josiah is talking about. Okay, go ahead. Correct. Um, and, and many of you might, might, know, might know the story that um, how his own tribe of Benjamin, which interestingly enough is also the tribe of Jesus and also the tribe of um uh, Paul the Apostle, what they do? They threatened to kill him because he had gone down and torn down the Asherah pole and the altar to Baal. So here's the people of Benjamin threatening to kill him. Now, interestingly enough, the people of Benjamin, they have a very interesting and almost sordid history throughout Scripture. You get into the book of Judges, and oi, they. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, the, the concept of being persecuted by your own people, while it may offend, the sense, offend some of the senses of, of some of the more of, of some people, it's a very real reality. What happens to a prophet in his own town when he starts saying, hey, you're not behaving the way you should? Well, Jesus said he's not accepted. He's not wanted. He's kicked out. And in Jesus's case, they nearly threw him. They tried to kill him. And so <clears throat> what would happen, and we can even go back to uh, Sheldon's story of in, in, in his steps of um, the, the, the homeless man that walked into that church service. Now, I'm, I'm referring back to a story that was written, um, I want to say it was in the 1960s, um, and it was, I can't remember the guy's first name, it was written by a guy named Sheldon, his last name Sheldon, and um, it's called In His Steps. And it starts off with the story of a homeless man walking into a church service, interrupting the pastor, saying, well, what are you doing? I mean, you're sitting here on all of your, your niceties and everything, and people are outside your own door starving. And basically, he goes into this monologue, if not outright diatribe, and just lecturing these people about how they're saying one thing, but they're doing something completely different. He ends up collapsing, and the pastor ends up taking him to a, a room and helping him get better. But it just raises questions about what are, 
the same questions that I've raised and Matt's raised before. What are we doing and why are we doing it? Mm -hmm. Where is it going? And the common response I've heard is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Our goal is Jesus, right? And you're taking hold of him for the same reason he's taking hold of you. Now, sometimes we have to ask the question, well, what does all that mean? But at the same time, I've had to ask myself the own question of what am I pursuing here? Am I pursuing going to a Sunday morning service, a certain contentment, or am I pursuing God? Now, I would admit openly that some when I've when I've pursued God, I find myself in conflict and being confronted for something. It, it, it doesn't matter what. It's just always a confrontation. Mm -hmm. And it's in, in a lot of those cases, the confrontation has been something about myself that I need to address and acknowledge and grow out of. That's the part of maturing. And um, um, as I said earlier, there are times that I'm jealous of these believers who are into these life and death situations matt brought up earlier this stuff that's going on in nigeria and i actually heard of a woman who witnessed her husband well before her husband was killed she was raped in front of him then her husband was killed then her children were killed and then they threw um acid on her face and burned her face mm -hmm. then they burned her house down they left her there she eventually got up went into the rubble of the house and found that the family Bible, though scorched, was still intact. She grabbed the Bible, clutched it to her chest, and started walking. And she walked for miles. Actually, her story can be found um, in another source. I've brought this up in another uh, uh, episode, but another source would be Voice of the Martyrs. Yes. Her story was in Voice of the Martyrs. It's just extraordinary what she was put through. And this was months ago. Right. Months ago. And so when, when the, I've had the Christian come up to me and says, oh, persecution, it's not, it's not to be found. Oh, it is. And sometimes we have to look beyond our own living room window to find it. Yes. And to anyone who says that um, it's not coming to America or, or it's a long way off, yeah. I, I'm not trying to forecast when it's coming, but, but I would definitely redirect back to the parable that that yeshua gave about um if the servants knew when the master was coming back they would have stayed diligent the whole time but if they mm -hmm. think that it's a long way off they're mm -hmm. going to get lazy they're going to kick up their feet and they're not going to do what they need to do mm -hmm. now yes that is about his return um and that's the context in which it's given i'm not not refuting that but that could also very very well speak to the coming of persecution regardless of what your eschatology is on if you think that we'll be here for the final tribulation or not we ought to be prepared to experience any amount of tribulation we ought to be prepared that it, it could come next week again yep. i'm not forecasting i'm not saying it will but we need to be ready like that what if somebody shows up and demands your bibles what if somebody shows up and demands whatever, hauls you off to prison? What, 
What if you lose your job for speaking truth against woke culture? I know that that's not uh, an unheard of thing in our in our nation right now. What if, what if it's closer than we think? Are we going to be the lazy servants that say, no, things are fine. I'm going to stay comfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or are we going to choose to prepare? And, and looping it, that's, that's on the, the individual level. Looping it back around to the church conversation. What are we doing on the weekends? Is it getting anyone closer to God? Is it preparing anyone? Is it, is it growing the fire within the person? Because comfort and fire don't mix. When the Holy Spirit's fire of passion and love for, for Yeshua and for Adonai come into your heart, like Josiah said, there's going to be challenges mm-hmm. because the flesh wants comfort. From the Jewish perspective, the, the flesh or the sin nature is not um, equal opposite force to the spirit. Mm-hmm. It's more like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's the lesser way to live. It's the animalistic nature. Think of like a lion out on the savanna. It wants to eat, it wants to sleep, and it wants to have lots of sex. That's pretty much it. If we live for comfort, we're living in our flesh, in our animalistic tendencies. We want to eat what we want, when we want, how we want. We want good quality, uninterrupted sleep on a Tempur-Pedic mattress or whatever. And we want lust. If we're living for those passions, of which money is a, a, a massive source to get those three things. So if you're living for your job and for your money, question that, please. But we are called to live above all of that. We are called to live in the spirit and sacrifice those things. None of those things are inherently bad. It's not bad to have a bed, a comfortable bed and get a good night's sleep. It's not bad to eat, obviously. God is a huge fan of feasting. Just go read Leviticus. Go read the end of the book of, uh, of Revelation. God loves food. God invented sex. He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and fill it. A command he has not revoked, by the way. But no, he hasn't. But we're called to not live for those things. We are; Those are part of life. Yes, they're good gifts from God. But we are called to live above that. We are called to live in relationship with him. That's what our Saturdays or our Sundays or our Wednesday nights need to be about. Getting people closer to each other and closer to God, standing on truth, knowing truth, and then standing on it and teaching others to do same, enjoying fellowship of people whose hearts are so knit together because they're standing on the same word, we might have disagreements on on the minor things. Fine, but let's be united. Like, Like Jesus said in John 17, his high priestly prayer, as it's known, it's all about unity, but nowhere once in there does he at all suggest compromising truth. It's all about unity on what is true. You know, and I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually a prayer that's been on my mind. You even, Rich, uh, what was that? I think you even brought it up in the last episode. Um, and 
the the prayer, as I've heard it over the years, is often suggested for when somebody is discouraged. Because here's Jesus praying for his disciples. Right. And um, one of the one of the key points that Jesus is making is that that they that they're just that the disciples would be known by their love for one another yeah and i i am the first one to to say it, it it's not easy being vulnerable i know i've shared some uh, some personal things over over the course of these episodes i'll admit it's not it's not easy for me being open like that and even matt can attest to that um i'm i'm just as much of a conversationalist as you'll find but when it comes to me opening up about my life i'm i'm actually pretty well guarded when it comes to stuff like that and it, it it's hard to to walk up to somebody on a sunday morning and say hey um i need to talk about some things that's happened to me this week that i need to even confess that's an element that we talk about James chapter five, but yet we, you don't want to do it in a public setting. You don't want to do it with the risk of somebody making fun of you and saying, Oh, you need to leave. No one wants to have the, the scarlet letter labeled on their, put on their chest, whether physically or metaphorically. Right. But yet when when Jesus came and did what he did, it's amazing to, to, to actually sit back and watch some of these interactions because the very relationships that God had, that Jesus has, was very much embedded in the machinations of his life, meaning the very actions and activity of his life was so ingrained with his relationship with God and his desire for others that you see him going away depriving himself of sleep and having those quiet moments with with God you see him how 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 much do you have to be in anguish to bleed blood through your sweat I once heard a doctor explain, and it's like, good night, nurse. The amount of stress that Jesus's body would have been under was would have been extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And this goes back a little bit to what I was talking about earlier about the word do. We can have all different kinds of ideas of what it means to do our faith. But yet, Sometimes it's going to be as simple as when your kids come home from school, you're ex you're exhausted and continue to want to have those quiet moments of going, oh, maybe there could be a club they could go to, an after-school club, and it can give me the quiet time. But yet, sitting there and listening to your child um, praise or complain about their day can be just as a loving act as if you were to intentionally go to a homeless shelter and feed the homeless. Yeah. 
we've got to be in this is about intentionality in our relationships with each other and it is about relationships I, I i knew a guy who did not he says i don't i'm not a relational guy i don't want this to be about a relationship with jesus i want it to be about an institutionalized ritualistic practice that i'm comfortable doing you know what that's fair because he was honest about where he was what where he was in life and where he was at in, in his thinking that was completely fair of him to say yes my prayer i hope that yeah he he, he can actually grow into the relational aspect of it but yet we, we we've talked a lot about persecution we've talked a lot about oppression at the hands of others but yet we put ourselves through a lot as well we beat each we beat ourselves up oh i didn't read my bible today oh that that's that that's showing that i am dedicated to god and dedicated to my relationship with god i'm i'm going to say for the record there are times where I am in my Bible every single day for sometimes hours in a given day. And then there's also time where I'm not in my Bible every day. And I've actually had people say, oh, that's that's very unchristian. You're, you're going to get judged for that. It's like, OK, I get judged for that. I get judged for that. But yet I, I also understand that there are cycles in a given relationship. And even. There were moments where, where Moses and God were on good talking terms. And then there were other moments where God saying, Moses, get out of the way. I'm about to kill some people. And Moses going, hold on. He, he's having to remind God of his own, of who he is sometimes, it seems. But yet there are ups and downs in relationships. There's ups and downs in life. And when we finally get to the point where we're willing to acknowledge that and admit it, sometimes it can go a lot easier, a lot easier. You're not going to experience as much stress. You're not going to experience as much sickness. You're not going to experience as much difficulties. That's not to say, though, that you won't, that if you completely change your mindset, that all of that will go away. Right. That will still be there. But then we get the attitude from the psalmists. Even um, Psalm, was that, 73 or 78, um, Asaph is talking about, hey, I'm looking at these these non-believers and they're getting away with murder. They're not experiencing the hardship I'm getting at that I'm experiencing out in life. But yet his, his final conclusion was, is that these people are far from you, but how good is it for God to be near me? I have made him my God and I've made him my refuge and I will tell of all of his wondrous deeds. Even in those moments where I'm seeing the unfairness, the injustice of what it is to to be a believer and a follower of jesus christ yeshua has not called us to a life of comfort and yet here in america we do have comforts i remember growing up i remember growing up there were some moments where i um i i, I didn't want to eat the rest of my food and there was this the, the line of well you know they're they're starving in africa the goal isn't to make you feel guilty right yeah, we're allowed to have a bed in our bedroom. We're allowed to have a roof over our head for crying out loud. But when we make that more important, even to the person laying next to you in bed, oh, I, I want to be able to sleep in. So I'm going to sleep in and the wife can or the spouse can get up and take care of all the responsibilities in a day. That should be a red flag right there. Hmm. 
that should be a red flag right there. But it's not spiritual, Josiah. It's not. It's not. It's not Christianity. Yeah, it is. All aspects of life. Exactly. Christianity. There's there's not a there's not a a book where it's cut and dry of going okay this action is going to win me favor with God and this action won't win me a favor with God that, that's not the way this is and Matt bringing Matt I, I really like the fact that you brought up about sex because um one of the conversations I'm having a lot lately for some reason is um related to Josh Harris and his old book I Kiss Dating Goodbye mm. um. And how people took it as gospel, frankly. Um, I knew a, a youth pastor who would walk around with a measuring stick. And he would, if the, that measuring stick could not fit between a boy and a girl who happened to be sitting next to each other, then he would whack each of them with the stick and tell them you're not being godly right now. Mm. And... If, if you want to check it out, folks, there's actually a documentary that Josh Harris did where he sat down. I think it was for 72 straight hours, and he <clears throat> listened to people who took his book to heart <coughs> Excuse me, and, <clears throat> and, and told him how much that book ruined their life. Completely destroyed their life, destroyed their self-image, destroyed what they would have considered to be a healthy relationship with another person. Is sex good? Yes. Is sex natural? Oh, good grief, yes. Should I tell you to go have sex with your spouse tonight? Yeah, go do it. What's stopping you? Except, of course, maybe certain obligations that might, whatever the case may be. But um, Christian culture has had the opportunity to be able to allow itself to go places where even in at, at simultaneously in other parts of the world, those Christians would have been going, I don't know how you could come to that conclusion. I, I, but yet we're not trying. What I'm trying to say here is that I'm not trying to force you to go and just be, you're, you're, you're living physically in the United States, but I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you to go live mentally in China um, where you're not in China. And that's not what my, Matt and I, neither of us are trying to get you to do. What I'm trying to challenge you to do is, is really look at your life and ask yourself the question, what are you doing? And is it meeting with scripture? Is it meeting with, say, your even own personal standards? If per, having personal standards, it's fine to some degree. But at the same time, you don't want those standards to supersede what your rabbi, what your teacher has established. And that's, and Jesus has made it very, very, very clear of what he expects from his disciples. He really has. So let's take note from this and say, whatever I may be, whatever the comforts I have in life right now, I'm allowed to have them. But let me not rely on those. Let me be grateful for them. Exactly. And not set them up as idols. Exactly. Let me not idolize my comfort, but let me worship the the one the comforter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as we as we draw this episode, this I have no idea how long this episode's gonna be, but <laughs> as we draw this one to a close, I do since we've done a little bit of international conversation, I want to give a shout out to our listeners in Spain 
Uh, yes. Our analytics show that we have, uh, I think, close to a dozen people listening in Spain. So to, to those of you in Spain and, and to all of our listeners, please know that we love you and we are actively praying for you all week long. Um, that you would draw closer to God every single day, that on the days when you're inside your own head, that he would wrap his loving arms around you and that you would accept it. Oftentimes it's a, that's the big part. He longs to do that, but we don't feel deserving or we don't feel worthy or whatever. So we, we reject his comfort, but we are praying for you. We care about you all. We'd love to hear from you. Please write us, even if it's just to say hello, beardedbiblebrothers at gmail.com. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks for tuning in. Mm -hmm.